Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio, your one stop for creative inspiration. We have a terrific hour of ideas and tips for you today, so let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm really excited because... I get to talk about clothing first. I know this is a quilt show, but you know we're gonna we're gonna talk quilts too. But I started out as a garment maker, uh, so I'm always it's always fun for me to be able to talk a little bit of clothing with somebody. And Joy Mahone, who's going to be here with me uh, for the first half of the show, her website is Dress Forms Design, and she's a fellow Baby Lock ambassador, uh, an author, a teacher, and just an incredible seamstress. Uh, Joy. This is so much fun. I can't wait. Oh, thanks for having me, Pat. You know, I really love to hear a little bit of your sort of backstory because you have a very long, deep, uh, you know, met, you know, quilt, not quilting, but sewing uh, as part of not your, you know, just your life, but of your family, too. Yeah, you know, um, like a lot of people, I started sewing when I was really little, uh, but I have so many fond memories of going to my grandma's. I mean, my mom sewed, but she never really taught me. I watched her, but my grandma was the one who always was giving me sewing gifts and all of that. But yeah, she, um, I'd go to their farm a lot in the summer, especially, and um, play up in the the second story and her sewing stash, and um, that's really kind of where I got started, and and then I joined 4-H and, uh, you know, took classes there and, and all of that. But, yeah, I think that whole, like, learning from my grandma was really pivotal uh, in inspiring me to continue on, um, you know, just with something that initially started as a hobby. What did she sew? What did your grandma sew? Did she do clothing? She did. She uh, she quilted, and which I didn't really know until we'll probably talk about that in a bit. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, she did garments. I do remember I, I was four or five years old, and she made myself and all of my cousins these really cute robes uh, for our birthdays, and I still have mine. But yeah, she did clothes, and they lived on a farm, and so I mean they did a lot of you know a lot of the the kids' clothing growing up, and she made curtains, and you know a lot of things. So, you know, you and I have talked quite a bit. We've been to uh, Baby Lock events and had a chance to to just sort of relax together. And so I know that you are quite um, skilled. You're a skilled seamstress. You know, when did – do you actually remember a pivotal point where you were learning, like, how to be so precise? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, when so when I was in sixth grade, I joined 4-H, and prior to that, I had sewn actually quite a lot. You know, of course, when you're a little kid, it's not you mm-hmm. know professional or anything. But I loved it. I mean, I always had the passion. And I mean, back to the farm. I remember my grandma had these Hirschner's catalogs. I don't mm. know if you remember that, but yes. I remember going through them, and they had cross stitch and quilting and garment sewing. And um, I didn't have a job or you you know, means, but I remember like flipping through there, looking at pictures, and then I would just make things off of these pictures, and mm-hmm. it was really rewarding, but when I got into 4-H, there was one of the moms who taught everyone a jacket, like a jacket, and it had pockets and zippers mm-hmm. and a collar, and it had everything in it, and that was like the one, it really was like the one only class that I ever took where it was like an official, like how to sew, read a pattern, but she was very, you sew and you 
you rip and you sew and you rip until it's perfect. And I don't (laughs) teach that way now. I like to teach the passion first and the precision comes. But I Mm -hmm. I do, you know, and plus we're in kind of a fast-paced society, so people aren't often tolerant for, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. teaching. But um, but it was just very – it gave me the appreciation for doing things right and understanding. But it did really click with me, and I think Mm – Everyone has, you know, some sort of God-given talent, and you should definitely use it to the best of your ability. And so that, I think, is really when I realized that, hey, I'm really good at this, and I and I really love it, too. Yeah, so it didn't bother you that you were having to, like, make it perfect? Um, I think I just remember having to do it over. So it was a zipper, you know, pretty yeah. common. I, think, I, I don't know at the time if I really thought, oh, like this has to be perfect. Because mm-hmm. um, it wasn't like OCD. I just remember like, oh, it's not right. I have to use this darn seam ripper again. And so, uh-huh. um, and I have a little bit of a different, and I always have a little bit of a different perspective uh, to learning and that you have to be realistic. And so I, I always hesitate using perfect because you know Mm -hmm. like it's you always can improve no matter what level you are at like I think you should always challenge yourself but but you know I think actually messing up and having to do things over is really really an important part of the learning process so Mm -hmm. it doesn't scare me and I think if we can overcome that in our sewing it is more enabling because you're less worried about messing up and because you learn you know when you mess up you have a better understanding of why things do and don't work so I think it makes you a better or sewer, you know, I, an experience. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't mind fixing something um, to get it the way it's supposed to be because I have a you know a vision. It's um, it's if everybody can sort of relax about that part of it. Yes, yeah. it's part of it. You do something and it's not quite right. You undo it and you just do it again. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you don't want, you know, the majority of your sewing to be, oh, I've got the seam ripper, you know, attached right. to my hip. But, you know, I mean, that's why you take classes and you practice. But, yeah, but yeah it, it's okay. It's okay to do that. But, yeah, and so I, and I guess I kind of learned that early on. And, and, you know, sometimes I'm teaching adults that, and it's a really hard concept to grasp because, we you know, we do live in kind of this instant society. But I just heard someone say recently, you know, someone sits down, like you think of like a prodigy or a, you know, a concert pianist. They don't Mm -hmm. sit down one time and instantly know, you know, Beethoven's fifth or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. Everybody has to practice some, whether you call it practice. I think that P words, you know, it's just like, no, I don't want, I just want to be perfect. Um, (laughs) first time out of the box. Uh, So also, Joy, you have another part of your background that I just am totally fascinated with uh, because you did an apprenticeship, um, which is a word that is sort of not, you know, is used in in some crafts, uh, yeah. but with a tailor. And that gave you this sort of incredible um, view of sewing. Tell me about that. Yeah, I value that so much. So um, in high school, uh, you know, I, I took sewing classes all through high school. But really, you know, at that point, I just kind of sat off in the corner and sewed on my own. But mm-hmm. it was about that same time when I was old enough to get my first job, 14 years old. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I was introduced to uh, a lady who had studied under a master tailor. And she had this amazing tailor shop. And they did tailoring for really high-end men's clothing stores 
stores. We did women's clothing, bridal, um, you know, anything and everything, all, you know, big, small, short, you know, any, any age, any type of garment and size. And so I did that all through high school and then even mm-hmm. during college when I was back in the summer. Um, so I, I had, you know, about eight years of, you know, studying and learning, you know, all kinds of, um, you know, again, just all kind, you know, and doing it rep- repetitive and, you know, mm-hmm. hemming pants to literally um, to the point where I, I did payroll a couple summers. I learned how to run a business. I did. Yeah. You know, imagine like, here, here, this high school kid signed my paycheck. You know, I learned business aspects or even just answering the telephone. And But um, but even, um, I mean, I was in charge of accounts. I got, it grew to where I literally, like the men's clothing store would call me and I, mm. I in a pinch and mm-hmm. I could go, you know, tailor a man's suit coat. And so, yeah, I, I really value, you know, that time learning and just the, that experience and it really opened my eyes of there are you know a plethora and, or an unlimited amount of you know shapes and sizes and bodies and mm-hmm. that is really where it really strikes me that fitting clothing is very very custom and it's not generic and so um, I feel really you know blessed to have that. Yeah, I, I always think, oh, my gosh, I wish I had known you, you know, you had <laughs> been my buddy because, you know, Aww. I wanted to sew, I wanted to sew so badly, jo- Joy, and yeah. I did it, I was awful for clothing. I mean, I made <laughs> awful, and I wore it anyways. My mother says she yeah. just rolled her eyes. She would look at me Aww. and think, oh, my goodness, but basically my mom didn't sew. She just gave me money and had I bought more fabric. And I, <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I did, though. I mean, you know, how many many kids are going to the mall buying, you know, CDs, and I was always like, take me to Joanne's, well, it was right. House of Fabrics at the right. time, and um, yeah, buying, you know, I'd spend the day there, you know, picking out buttons, and I mean, that was just totally my element, I, I love it. Yeah, yeah, I was that I was that kid, I mean, there was nobody else doing that in my school, <laughs> yeah. I didn't care, I was like, well, this is what yep. I want to do. Um, I love it. So we have like about two minutes. I want to talk about the, the, you have some quilts in your family. I think we'll we'll open up when we come back from the break with that. But before we do, tell me where you're located because you have a studio now that's open to the public. I do, yeah. I've had my uh, business for uh, 20 years, but I just moved to a big, about 3,000 square foot location a year ago. I'm in a big old 100-year-old bank building. We have the original bank vault, but I'm in Sioux City, Iowa. It's called Designer Joy's Sewing Factory, and it's kind of my home base for doing my design work and my work, but I have an on-site classroom, so I do classes as well, and I have a little kind of mini store, so I'm not really retail, but I have a lot of, you know, needles and some odds and ends and things that, you know, local people pop in and grab just because, you know, sometimes it's hard to find those types of things too. And you have this all outfitted with baby lock machines, all different kinds, right? I do. I have um, a lot of my machines there. I mean, I've got a Ted Needle embroidery machine. I sew on the Destiny, but our classroom is full of baby lock crescendos and sergers. And I just got um, my tiara long arm pad. I'm so excited. So that's my my newest addition. So yeah. But that that is awesome. Are you going to let people rent it, or are you just going to use it? 
Yeah, so what, um, well, our debut, we're doing a quilt along this year, and so um, everyone that does quilting classes at my studio will be able to, um, as part of, you know, registering in the classes, they'll have access to um, coming in and then doing their own quilting. So um, I'm really excited about that. And then I use that in in quilts, but I actually quilt a lot of linings in Mm -hmm. my garments, and so you often, you know, wouldn't think of like a quilting machine for garment sewing, but Mm -hmm. I do a lot of quilting on garments, and maybe unsuspected places so um, yeah lots of application so we're going to take a break joy okay and uh when we come back uh i want to hear a little bit about your quilts and then we'll you know you could tell me some of the um the quilting stuff that goes on in your studio so we're gonna we're gonna be right back folks hang in there the One Million Pillowcase Challenge in March for the Ultimate Pillowcase Competition. Gather a team and compete in one of two categories during the month of March to make pillowcases, earn points, and maybe be crowned the Ultimate Pillowcase Champion. The top three teams in each category will be awarded cash prizes. Even if you're not forming a team, you can watch all the action with weekly voting and daily prizes. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash pillowcase madness for more information. Quilt Along with us in 2017. Join our fourth annual Quilt Along by stitching a wall hanging, a throw, or a one-block table topper, or all three projects. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash quilt along for a list of participating bloggers and designers and to see photos of what staff members and other readers are sewing. Share your photos on social media by using the hashtag APQQuiltAlong to join the fun. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. I'm Pat Sloan, and I'm talking to Joy Mahone of Dressform Designs. So, Joy, you have some quilts in your family, but you didn't actually know about them for quite a little, like recently. Yeah, actually, about three years ago. Um, so, you know, we mentioned earlier I, I spent a lot of time when I was little at my grandma's farm, and so I played in her sewing stash and all of that. And um, my grandma actually passed away. It'll be seven years ago uh, coming up. And then um, it was a couple years after that, so it was actually about three years ago. My grandpa, who is going to be 100 in February, I just oh my can't goodness. believe it. I know. He called, and he said, oh, do you want um, – you know, some of your grandma's fabrics, and of course I'm thinking, grandma's stash, like there's got to be some really good stuff in here, right? Yeah. And so we, we drive, we drive an hour, we go, he had still lived by himself at this point, mm-hmm. so we drive down there, and there's this big trunk, it's like a size mm-hmm. of a suitcase, and so I opened it up, and well, we brought it home first, and I'm like, you know, just eager to dive into this, and I opened it up, and it's like, 
1970s polyester <laughs> double knit, and I was just so disappointed. I thought, Grandma, you have bad taste, and the fabrics were ugly. But I thought, well, I, I was just such a letdown. But I dig in the bottom of this trunk, and at the bottom, there was an entire quilt topper. It wasn't sewn together, but it was 20 quilt blocks for a butterfly quilt in kind of mm-hmm. 1940s, 50s time period. Um, but the cool thing was is that, you know, people had um, hand embroidered their signatures, which that was common at that time. But mm-hmm. what I realized was that all the people were, it was like my great-grandma and my great-aunt oh. and my grandma. So it was like all these people, and our family is really close, and we talk about our relatives like in Ronald mm-hmm. Memorial Day. So although I never knew these people, I felt like I knew them. Mm-hmm. So I realized that, oh, my goodness, this is like my sewing legacy. So I call my mom, and I tell her about this. And then, then a year later, they were cleaning out Grandpa's house after we moved him out, and we find all these other finished quilts and quilt toppers, same group of people. And my mom, and we never talked about this, but my grandma, when she was my age, I'm, I'm four, I'll be 41 this month, and she mm-hmm. was 40 in 1950s, um, she had a quilt group called the Sunshine Club, and they got oh. together each month. And so, um, my yeah, so come, we, and, you know, it's, there's all this information that all of a sudden we've discovered, and my mom starts telling me all this stuff. And, and I don't know why we never talked about it before, but it was just, you know, so we're discovering all this really interesting quilt history. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty neat. That is that is such a cool story. Yeah, the Sunshine Club, huh? That's yeah, yeah. They had a name for I know, and it's just like Little Town, Iowa. So mm-hmm. there's one lady still living in the group, and she's in her late 90s. So, mm-hmm. um, but we're trying to actually um, uh, find the family members and see if other people have. Because what they would do, you know, is they would sit down each month, and everyone mm-hmm. would make a block, and they would share them with everybody else, you know, like a cookie exchange. Yeah. So, um, so now that's kind of our little detective work as we're trying to look up families and see, you know, did any uh, anyone else's quilts ex- ex- survive and yeah. all of that. So oh. who knows? So that's, yeah, so there's just kind of some neat things. But the interesting thing is the fabrics. Um, you know, my great-grandma and then my grandpa starts telling me, oh, yes, we remember when the, because this would have been like 1900s. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, the peddler used to come around and gr- my mom, it would be my yeah. great-grandma, um, would buy, you know, all these fabrics off the cart, you know, things you see in like westerns on tv right. so um yeah so all the fabrics are are old so um yeah so that's kind of inspired me to um dapple in you know doing like some fabric design you know inspired i call it grandma's vintage butterfly because yeah. it's all inspired by you know her butterfly quilt but yeah did you set did you sew the quilt together <laughs> Not yet. Oh. I have purchased. I keep buying yardage to, to do the sashing, thinking I have just the right color, and I cut it out and I lay it out, and then I decide I don't like it. So, wow. um, yeah. So I will. I feel like it's my duty to finish the quilt because um, then it'll be four generations mm-hmm. will have sewn on it, and I'll probably have my daughter do something. But uh, yeah, I'm having a really hard time because it's. I feel like it's so important that I just can't make a decisive decision <laughs> on the sashing. <laughs> It might just be all white. I don't know. <laughs> well, you'll find, it'll, all of a sudden it'll just click with you. It it'll, will, and I'll yeah. post pictures everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes. 
So I wanted to ask you sort of a, we'll just sort of switch gears here a second, because I do want to, a lot of people are sewing clothing now who are quilt makers, and we only like work with cotton. You know, we don't really have all that other fun, cool stuff, and if we buy it, we don't know what to do with it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm raising my hand. So uh, give me a few tips for quilt makers who want to start with a garment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Really, I think there's a lot of techniques that translate from one to the other, and so the idea isn't to replace quilting by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, use what you know. I mean, a lot of garment fabrics are cotton, you know, so if you're used to sewing quilting cottons, I know there's the debate. Some people say never use quilting cottons for garments. I have no problem with it. I teach all kinds of classes, and if you the the key is use a really good quality. Don't get like you know your 99 cent a yard stuff that's going to fall apart you know use a good quality uh you know name brand that you know um you know that you would put in a quilt you know Mm -hmm. you know think of it that way um but quilting cottons are fabulous for linings Uh, that's actually you see i do mccall patterns and i do Mm -hmm. these fancy wool coats i always line my garments in quilting cottons because there are so many you know designs and fabrics and colors and prints and you know whatever out there but um you know stick to simple lines and simple patterns patterns, not necessarily the one size fit all because, you know, that that's my big soapbox for another, you know, another podcast, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but just find, you know, simple garments, a simple little jacket that has a few seams and, you know, a buttonhole or something like mm-hmm. that and make a sample, you know, even quilting cottons, they're in reality, you know, two, three yards to make a sample for most garments, you know, maybe four yards because, you know, quilts are, quilt fabrics are a little more narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might invest $20, you know, make a sample, do your fitting on that, check the fit, test what you're doing, then take that apart and then use your corrected fit sample as your actual pattern. Um, and there's always the argument that, oh, that takes so much more time. Mm-hmm. But in reality, if you have an oopsie, you haven't done it on your final garment and you don't have to pull out the seam ripper on your final garment. So, <laughs> you know, you make your fit sample and then you sew your final garment start to finish and it's really a, a seamless no pun intended mm-hmm. uh, you know process and I teach on that a lot because I know people think oh it's just an extra step but in reality the pros I mean oh. pr- the pro like all of us that so professionally and get mm-hmm. paid lots of money to do like some of these amazing garments we always sample always yeah um, but yeah so just you know keep it simple and um, you know start with a few simple techniques like a zipper and a couple seams and a hem you know that's enough and get comfortable with it and then add another skill well you know like like you would in quilting like yeah that's true that's really a good analogy it's like you don't really start most of us don't start in quilting with the biggest thing and all the most complex little tiny pieces most people do something a little more simple to learn learn the basics uh you know some of the quilting cottons are pretty drapey too Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? You can layer them. So if you want, you know, quilting con- cottons, if you were to put three of them together, that would be about the weight of denim, you know. And mm-hmm. so, you know, think of it that way. And layering is a big, uh, you know, really a, a great thing to do. You know, ba- make a reversible fabric by putting, a, you know, two one of them, you know, wrong sides together and then cut them out and, you know, make a, a simple little jacket where you can, you know, do a fun little buttonhole stitch around mm-hmm. the edge and you can do some quilting on your, 
you know, on your garment. It's a really great way to mesh both of your skills together. And another cool thing is if you have just random blocks mm-hmm. somewhere, you know, throw that onto like a pocket or, you know, make a collar. Oh. And that way, you know, that way you're not wasting or, you know, you, maybe, you know, you've got a bunch together that you're never going to make a quilt out of. So, right. yeah. We all have those, those random yeah, blocks. Yeah. <laughs> those are samples, Joy. That's the quilt. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so at your at your um, studio, people can they can go to your website and find what classes you teach there. But you also have books and you have on, some online classes, right? Yeah, all kinds of stuff. So um, I have, excuse me, um, I've got a couple books and I have a couple crafty classes which are kind of geared more towards, um, it's not a fluffy, pretty class. It's really just kind of my technique on fitting and approach to that. Um, I have a lot of um, online classes through Baby Lock and their um, Love of Sewing and Love of, well, I did their Love of Sewing program, but all of their channels. I've got a new series with them that's launching in the spring. And I have a new YouTube channel. I can't really say a whole lot about it yet because we're still in process but um it's totally i think it's going to be a little bit different but really fun um for all aspects of sewing um so we'll have to get together on that again sometime but yeah so just yeah if you go pretty much designer joy on any of the social media channels and you can find uh find my work find your work that oh good i can't wait to see um see that new youtube that's going to be cool you're very fun you always are lively um i have to ask you a personal question yeah so are your glasses vintage you have the coolest oh my glasses. goodness that's too funny no i have a really great optometrist and anytime they see like kind of crazy funky things they always call and they're like joy we've got some new frames you've got to see them so yeah they're actually frames for sunglasses however oh. so yeah they're just fun i know it's hard to pick new glasses out now because it's I can't do anything just simple because everyone expects me to have something really cool. <laughs> yeah, now you've set the bar high, Joy. You're going to have to you're gonna always have to find something something neat oh. for you. Okay, so we have about uh, less than a minute. You have a few projects you've done like out that are sort of wild, crazy ones. What has been one of your favorites? Oh, my goodness. Um, for regular sewing or, like, freelancing? Well, like, you, like you've done, like, Cabela's and things like yeah. that. Um, yeah, well, because I, I do some freelance stuff, and it's most mostly things people never hear about. Um, and that's more, like, technical fashion industry. So I did. I did a turkey hunting uh, vest for a company that sells to Cabela's. And so I worked with the factory in China and then the technical spec designer. And so we did all the – it was all computer. Like, it was never on yeah. um, actual that's fabric. Fun. So the, that's yeah, so, so just kind of different. Yeah. So, Joy, we'll have to have you back. you have to come back, and we'll talk yeah. a little bit more on uh, fitting and things like that. Would, would you do that later this year or next year? I would totally. Yeah, that would be so much fun. Okay. Well, great. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Be right back. Quilting tip brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest fabric collections. 
To avoid mixing up various sized strips once cut, you can write the measurements on the strip selvage. Get two full years of American Patchwork and Quilting delivered right to your door for the price of one. That's a full year free. Every issue is packed with never-before-seen projects from top designers, detailed photography, complete materials lists, and easy-to-use pull-out patterns and quilting diagrams. Subscribe today at allpeoplequilt.com. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. This is uh, show is brought to you and made uh, possible by Moda Fabrics. And I just wanted to tell you that they have the most exciting uh, sew along that they've been doing at the Moda Bake Shop. It's called Countdown to Christmas, and they're six inch finished blocks, and they're so cute. And each one is like a different designer that they asked to come and uh, do this. A lot of them are shop owners too. It's just Super darling, uh, you once you find the first one, if you just go there at the bottom, there's a, like a tag that says Countdown to Christmas. You can click that and get all of them. Now, I am delighted to have Katya Merrick back. She has been on before, but it's been a long time, and, and Katya is doing all kinds of wonderful, fun new things, and has had projects come and go that I just want to hear about. So, Katya, I'm so glad to have you here. Hi, Pat. Yeah, I'm glad you had me on your show. Yeah, this is, you know, you are always, you're, I don't know, your brain must never stop. You have so many cool ideas. Do people say that to you all the time? Um, I hear that a lot. Uh, people yeah. always ask me, how does your brain actually function? Like, where do you come up with this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one to answer, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I know. Uh, you know, a lot of people just follow a um, a pattern, and I'm always looking at different patterns or different ideas and wondering how I can change them, how I can create them um, in a new fashion and make them my own. Yeah. So you are the owner of Katya's Quilt Shop, which is in uh, Canada. Where Where are you at in Canada? Actually, I'm in Kamloops, British Columbia, so I'm on the west side of uh, Canada, pro- pretty much the dead center of the province. Okay. So are you, like, easy to get to for people, like, when they're traveling up there? Actually, we really are. We're on um, a lot of the major highways. A lot of people come to Kamloops for medical care. Um, There's a lot of um, industry here. So, you know, the highways lead in and out. So I have a lot of customers even from far outlying areas that we see on a really regular basis. Oh, well, that's pretty neat, you know, that, that you have uh, so much. It's, it must be fun that to have them come back every few months. Oh, it really is. And you get to know the people and you get to know their likes and their dislikes. And, and uh, yeah, it's really cool to, to, you know, get in touch with them on a regular basis. And they become almost like friends. I mean, mm-hmm. they're acquaintances, but they are friends because they come back all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they come to the door. You'd be like cheers, right? The uh, the television. Hey, you're back. How are you? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when you started this whole adventure, Katya, did you ever think you would be sort of known for anything in particular, like when you started your shop? No, absolutely <laughs> not. You know, my idea was to open a little quilt shop, and it quickly outgrew the little part and became <laughs> a bigger quilt shop. 
But to be known for English paper piecing, that was not even on my radar. Because back in 1995, when we, I was uh, president of my Quilt Guild that year, and we had a workshop in English paper piecing. And the woman who was the presenter, and now works for me, by the way, oh. um, I looked at her and I said, like, why? Why English paper piecing? We've got all these modern tools at our disposal. Why would we want to do this? But over time, somehow, it really grabbed me. And although I didn't love the thread-basing aspect of English paper piecing, I loved the whip-stitching aspect of it. Mm. So when glue came on the market, mm -hmm. it was like it revolutionized my life. All of a sudden, it made it a more doable technique for me. Mm -hmm. So when you um, – can you just tell, the, tell everybody the difference? Because not, every, not everybody English paper pieces oh, – shockers. Uh, so <laughs> – <laughs> but yeah, when you're saying, paper, yeah, the whip sure, English stitching paper versus... piecing is basically wrapping fabric around paper shapes. Mm -hmm. um, I love my die cut English paper pieces. Some people make their own, but it's wrapping the fabric around the paper shape and then whip stitching up the edge by hand. And it, it makes it such a portable technique that you can take anywhere. So the, the glue versus the thread part, where does that come in? Well, although you still use thread to whip stitch up the edges, traditionally in English paper piecing, um, the fabric was sewn around the papers with thread. So it was thread basted to the papers. So when glue came in, especially these fabric glues that are temporary, they'll hold the fabric to the paper, but you can get the paper out easily. Although you do need to make sure that you use a fabric glue and not a permanent type of glue. I've kind of made that mistake in the past and learned from it. Um, so you can glue baste your fabric onto the papers, and that just makes that step so much faster. And it, like I said before, it makes it a really doable technique for me. So what glue do you like that you, know, that you pr pretty much prefer? I love my fonts and porter. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's so that one. I've tried different ones, um, and somehow I always seem to go back to that one. Mm -hmm. And um, as I said, it's easy to get the papers back out when you need to, mm -hmm. but it sticks beautifully for the glue basting. So. Yeah, so that's um, that's one of the the big things that for you know is is just getting the paper out. You know, if it doesn't come out easy, it's just too frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, you know, when I when we were working on the calendar, I had lots of people make samples for me. And every once in a while, I'd come across a block where somebody had used like an Aileen's glue mm -hmm. or um, a Roxanne's or, you know, like a white Elmer's glue, those types mm -hmm. of things. Well, they're not meant for glue basting. Mm -hmm. And you're never, ever going to get your papers out of there if you use those. Yeah. Good tip. That's a good tip. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with your first book, it's the, um, the Hexagon... Um, the new hexagon. Oh, yeah, new hexagon. Sorry, also my brain went like, "Woo!" Uh, and you actually had an exhibit of finished quilts. Um, I, when was that? That was in April of 2017 in Chicago. Okay. How, tell me about that because it must have been fabulous to see them all together. You know, it was amazing. Um, I didn't actually know about the exhibit initially because apparently the woman who proposed the exhibit tried to get a hold of me and I don't know what happened. The email oh. didn't go through or something. So one day Martingale contacted me and said, have you heard about this? And I said, well, well no, but yay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
so I got a hold of them, and um, anyways, the, the woman proposed the exhibit, and they thought it was a great idea. So it was based on quilts out of my book, The New Hexagon, or based on my online quilt along. And mm. at the time, they specifically were looking at The New Hexagon, Millefiori. So the show ended up, um, we ended up having one quilt based on the book, one mm-hmm. quilt based on my blocks on the gold quilt along, two quilts based on glorious hexagons, and t- 20, 21 millies quilts. Oh. So 21 quilts based on the new hexagon Millefiori. And they were all different, and it was just amazing to see them all together. Now, who selected them? Were you involved in that process? There was a jurying in committee, and yes, I was involved in that process. Oh. So it was a it was a set of criteria based on how well they, um, well, they had to be based on the book or the online quilt. Right. Along. Right. So if they weren't based on that, they immediately were mm-hmm. were rejected. And then from the remaining quilts, we had to choose the ones that that we felt best. I guess represented both. Mm-hmm. It must have been tough. Oh, it was really hard, <laughs> really hard. You know, I, I felt really bad every time I would have to look at one, and if it didn't get in, especially mm-hmm. if I had voted for it and somebody else had. <laughs> so, yeah, it was yeah. it was a tough process. Yeah, you only have so much space to hang an exhibit, and so yeah, that's right. And uh, they had said we were allowed twenty-five items, so. Mm. Um, you know that was a that was a huge show, anyways. You know, considering, mm-hmm. um, but you know, there's so many shows within a show, so you only have so much space. And um, I thought it was just fabulous. Yeah. Did you go for the entire show to Chicago? I sure did. I wasn't about <laughs> to miss that. Yeah. <laughs> so when somebody said that to me, I said, "Oh yeah, I'll be yeah. there." I'll be there. And uh, I was able to lead a couple of tours through um, the oh. exhibit. Oh, how uh, nice. Yeah, I think I did that twice a day, and uh, they were just, they were amazing. And a lot of the people who had quilts in the show actually attended the show. Mm-hmm. So it was wonderful to hear from them how um, how the whole process was for them, how they approached their, um, their quilts, their designs, and uh, we allowed them to speak during the little tour so okay. that everybody could hear their input as well. Oh, that, you know, that's priceless, really, to be able to talk to a person about their quilt at an exhibit. Yes, and I I made a lot of new friends that day. (laughs) Yay! Yay for new friends! And so what are you seeing now with the the English paper piecing? Um, You know, over the many, 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 many years it's existed, it's ebbed and flowed, but what's it doing right now? Well, I think... For starters, I think the hexagon craze is far from finished. Um, I see that every day with the people that are joining my Facebook groups, um, my quilt-alongs. And I think in this fast-paced world of instant gratification, um, English paper piecing is one of those things that provides comfort and peace and satisfaction because it's handwork and because it can be done anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of new designs coming into English paper piecing, a lot of new shapes. And, you know, from the amount that I see nowadays, I really feel that we've got a long way to go with English paper piecing, and I don't think it's going anywhere. You know, that's the one interesting thing to me is that is, 
you know, I originally only knew about the shape of a hexagon, but there are so many other shapes which give you all of that glorious kaleidoscopy kind of of look. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah, have a favorite shape? Well, the hexagon would be my favorite, of course. <laughs> of uh, course. Well, yeah. next to that one. <laughs> you know, I don't know if there's a second favorite um, because there's so many different shapes that you can put inside the hexagon. When I started to play with them and break them down into units and smaller parts, um, you know, I just kept going and going. And at one point I was over 800 and some blocks in my database on my computer. And it just keeps going from there. I even designed an alphabet and a set of numbers inside hexagons. My goodness. <laughs> That's crazy. I'd like to see the alphabet. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've shown some pictures out there, but yeah. I haven't really gone any further with it. Yeah. Oh. So you were part of our Splendid Sampler project, um, and, of course, you had uh, hexagon in there, but you also made your own uh, quilt. Tell Tell me what you did when the the blocks that you made and how you thought about your setting for them. Yes, the um, I made 72 of the blocks. I wasn't able to accomplish all 100. But that's not an issue because now we have that beautiful splendid sampler book and I can go back anytime and I can finish those blocks that I didn't have time to do during the online uh, portion of the quilt along. And um, my particular block... Since when I found out it was a six-inch block that we were going to base things on and it should be something that was important to us, I came up with the little B. And it was set on um, the way I usually design the hexagons, but it fit perfectly into that little six-inch block. And then when I put my blocks together, I wanted something really unique and really different. So my overall setting is, um, is a hexagon as well. So I've set them in a jack's chain I believe that's the name of the setting, Jack's Chain version. In a set of nine-patch blocks, I've inserted the splendid sampler blocks. And where the hexagon normally goes in that setting, I've broken it down and I've actually pieced a little colored hexagon inside that larger hexagon. (laughs) So I do have pictures on my website, and um, I'm down to the very tail end of things. I just need to quilt it and need to find time for that. Yeah, it's always the quilting part. Now you're going to leave it. You're going to leave it that that shape, right? Because it doesn't have straight edges. That's right. I am. Um, I I've always said I love quilts without the traditional borders and binding. I love any kind of a unique setting, unique angles along the edge. So that is going to be my finished uh, finished shape. Yeah, it is spectacular. People can find it at Katya's. Um, store page, and she has a tab called the Splendid Sampler up on the top nav bar. So, Katya, we're going to take a break here in a very, very shortly. Um, okay. And when we come back, I want to talk about your new book that's coming out called Distinctive Dresdens, where um, there might actually, is there any hexagons in it? Um, well, there is, in that there's some six faceted blocks in that book. So, those go. resemble a hexagon. And then in the center of those blocks, I've also put a hexagon. Okay, be right back.
join American Patchwork and Quilting on Facebook for daily quilting inspiration, tips, giveaways, and more. Find us at facebook.com backslash APQ Magazine. This quilting tip brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest fabric collections. Press and seal can be used to hold pieced units in place before sewing together. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and I have Katya Merrick. Uh, we are talking all kinds of projects she's doing, and so we're going to talk about your newest book now, Distinctive Dresdens. So you um, have done this whole flurry with uh, hexagons, Katya, and then where you know, your brain, um, your creative brain, did a little shift. Uh, so do you know what, like, triggered Dresden's to come on your radar? Well, I've always been the kind of person that thinks that there's more one, more than one right way to do things, more than one correct way, that there are really no rules. So I've always wanted to change things up and make them my own. And in 2015, I believe it was, my mom and I took a uh, river cruise in Germany and we cruised the Elbe, and then we had shops in Dresden and in Meissen. And in Meissen, there was the um, porcelain factory and mm-hmm. museum there. And we that was only about 25 kilometers from Dresden itself. And we saw all the porcelain that made this region uh, famous, or that na- that was that the Dresden plate block was named for. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at the things that I saw there, and I wondered why the Dresden plate always had to have 20 18-degree petals. Why that yeah. format? And I decided it was time to change it up and give it an updated and a new look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's always a vacation that triggered all of this. <laughs> yes, it yes. was. <laughs> well, that's fun. We should all go on vacation mm. more. I, I vote for that. Um, yes. So when you start playing around like that, do you use pencil and paper? Do you use software? What is your mode to experiment? Um, I use a number of different things. And with the hexagons, they were all designed in EQ, actually. Mm -hmm. And with the Dresden plates, I wasn't quite sure how to do that. So I, I downloaded a polar grid, which is basically a 360-degree circle with all the angles Mm. um, drawn out on it, and I started to draw on top of this polar grid. And I went with traditional um, divisions that we had worked with over time, you know, things like 45 degrees, 30 degrees, Mm -hmm. 20, 15, 11 and a quarter, which which divides properly when you you Mm -hmm. divide that 360-degree circle. Anyway, so those are the divisions I started with, but I decided that I wanted um, faceted blocks that had re- repeats of similar angles mm-hmm. to create certain shapes, so like a five-sided block, a six-sided block. Um, anyways, I've gone from two, three, four, five, and six faceted blocks, and in those facets, I divided them by different angles for each mm-hmm. wedge. 
Yeah, because they're not they're that's what I really like about them, Katya, is that they're very um well they're they're varied, I guess that very varied. That doesn't sound right, right but they're very varied. Yeah, yeah, they're very varied. Uh is that you know, there's unexpected little things. When you keep looking at them, you're like, oh, well, then, you know, yours like a, this extra pinwheel that sort of forms depending on the colors and things like that. Uh, were those mysteries that you planned out or did they sort of happen during fabric selection? Um, those are things I actually planned out. I knew I wanted to put inserts in between some of the wedges. Mm-hmm. And I've seen inserts in Dresden plates before, but they don't usually go right to the very top of the of the piece seam. Oh, usually okay. the inserts stopped halfway down somewhere. And I think that was largely because what do you do with that seam allowance at the mm-hmm. point of the tip? So I decided to come up with something different. I turned down the point of the tip first and then pieced the insert in so that it could go all the way to the top of the seam between the different wedges. And I really, I wanted those different points because I wanted secondary aspects to come out, like pinwheels and stars. Um, I treated some of them traditionally by opening them up, these 3D inserts, and some Mm -hmm. of them I created an asymmetrical look by turning them to one side. Oh, okay. I get it now what I'm looking at. Very cool. So it's also not lost on me that there are no circles in the middle of these Dresdens. No, because, you know, I thought they're all different shapes. So Mm -hmm. I thought the number of facets should guide what I put in the center. Mm -hmm. So if it's a two-faceted block, I used a six-point diamond, which has only two long ends. If it was a three-faceted block, I put a triangle in the center. If it was a four-faceted block, a square. Five-faceted blocks have pentagons, and a six-faceted block has a hexagon in the center. Yeah. So you're very structured. Are you like real mathematical? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I have a bit of a math brain. <laughs> I'm like, all righty, this is uh this is very structured. No, there but but I wouldn't have guessed that. I'm glad you told me that it sort of went with them because I'm just thinking, Oh, I could put a triangle on that one instead. Which I guess you, you could. You could. You could do yeah. anything you want. And there's actually one block that doesn't fit the norm, and that's block number one. It's a two-faceted block, but I have four inserts in it. Ah. And it just felt like it needed it mm-hmm. as I was designing it. So You're such a rebel. You there know. you go. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I love about this is that the quilts that you um, you put in the book are also very unique. Um, have you found, like, over all of your quilt making that you like to do things that are unique? I mean, did you ever do, like, traditional settings and things? You know what? It's hard to believe, but when I started out, I was a very traditional quilter. I had a real need for symmetry, and I was very much into traditional colors. And sometime over the years, the more I worked with fabric and designs, I started looking for things that were different and unique and one of a kind. And that's really where my brain goes nowadays. I want things that are just a little bit different and (laughs) unique to me. And a lot of it is asymmetrical, but not everything. You know, That's right. So, I mean, you have a beautiful tree skirt and you have a table runner, uh, which are, are, you know, 
symmetrical piece. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, table runners are hard not to be, but they, they, you, it is symmetrical. I love the, um, what would you call them? What did you call them? Clamoring for more quilts. So they're like, like ovals that you put them in. Yeah, well, the in Clamour for More, I treated the Dresden plate. I've I applicated onto a circle and mm-hmm. then overlapped the circles like we would do with a traditional um, clamshell. Oh, okay. Piece quilt. Yeah. yeah. And so I wanted that look of overlapping, um, overlapping circles. Yeah, a whole quilt like that would be very cool. Um, you've got it in a very asymmetrical layout, but I could, you know, you could get crazy and do a whole. That would take a while, though, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, it would, but I think it'd be worth doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I did differently in that quilt is I put it on a bed of 100% wool. My background is 100% moto wool, oh. and it just gives it a really luscious, soft, it just, the feel of it is so nice, and a lot of people have said that they'd like to make that just because of that moto wool background. So did you have any, uh, did you do this by machine then? When you put the clamshells down, did you sew them down by machine or by hand to the wool? They're sewn by hand. Oh, okay, yeah. they're sewn by hand. Yeah. The dress and plates in my book can be pieced by hand or machine, and I've mm-hmm. explained that in the book. For okay. those people who don't want to do hand piecing, they can do machine piecing with these. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've developed a technique called open glue basting for machine work and closed mm-hmm. glue basting for um, hand work. But um, as far as applicating them down to the background, everything has been done by hand. Yeah. And also for the overlapped clams in that quilt. Right. It looks like you did some fancy embroidery on it. Yeah, it's just a, basically a, oh, a herringbone stitch. A hair, okay. <laughs> so, and I've varied the size from block to block mm-hmm. just for a little bit of interest. And I've yeah. used a wonderful um, variegated thread for that one. Yeah. So I'm this. I'm still on the wool here. Um, did you pre-wash the wool before you used it? No, I didn't. I, okay. It, it it does become a little bit felted from the dyeing process itself. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've used the Moda wools in the past, and I've never had an issue with with anything. Um, you know, I've I've used them for clothing actually many years ago, and in that case, I would pre-wash them. But for the quilt, mm-hmm. I didn't. So can you give me, we have a few minutes left, can you give me a few tips for fabric selection for these Dresdens? You know, like maybe the process to get a really nice color combination. Well, I think it's really important to have contrast between the wedges when you're you're making a Dresden plate block with these different angles because that's the best way that you can see the differences that one is, slender and one is wider. Um, I think good contrast of value or color uh, really would would do the trick. And, you know, I was thinking about that earlier. Every once in a while, you might want something that's a little bit more muted. For example, in the classic cushions in the book, mm-hmm. I use contrast of, of pattern and contrast of scale because mm-hmm. everything was um, similar background with a metallic print on it. So it was the contrast of the actual pattern on the fabric that I used in those ones to get the look that I wanted. But uh, I think generally speaking, good contrast of value and color. Um, I love bright colors. Yeah. So a lot of my stuff is bright. Yeah. (laughs) 
But I say it can just as easily be done with um, nice traditional or reproduction fabrics. Mm -hmm. Do you lay them out? Do, I mean, do you ever actually cut some fabric and lay it next to each other, or do you audition in a different way? Um, I have only a couple of times I've actually changed pieces once I've had them cut because I didn't mm -hmm. feel there was enough contrast mm -hmm. either in pattern or in color to differentiate between, between the different wedges. Mm -hmm. So I usually pick a group of fabrics and colors and then decide where they're going to go within the dress and plate itself. Okay. And usually it works for me as long as I have that contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can lay them out on the table and see the contrast and then just, right. mm -hmm. yeah, just do that from that working pile. That's right. Oh, very good. Okay, so this also in 2018, you're joining me for the Orophil Designer of the Month um, yes, project. So yes, and you are my my lucky January winner. You, <laughs> I think <laughs> I always beg somebody January. to take January. <laughs> <laughs> and guess who put up their hand, right? I know, I know. It's like I always say, "I'll love you forever if you'll take January." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and I think my reply was, well, love me forever then. <laughs> that's right. And our theme is the places we go, and we're doing black and white in a color. And so I'm very excited about this. There are 12-inch blocks, and people can follow along. And uh, Katya's will be the first one. It's around the 15th, of, usually on the 15th of the month we re-release re that. So I want you to be following along and waiting, waiting to see. So we have like 30 seconds. What's one more thing you want to share? How about my color for next year? Okay. If people can't already guess, my favorite color is orange, so you can expect my Orifel block of the month for next year to be orange. Yay, black, white, and orange. I'm so excited. It's going to be so much fun. So yes, Katya, I I... Did, but I didn't want it to look Halloweenish, so right. I've really worked hard to um, <laughs> make that work for me. Yeah, I, I'm sure that it is going to be spectacular. Um, so thank you for being with me. Thanks so much for having me again. I really everybody, enjoy uh, talking to you and um, having everybody hear what uh, what I have going on. Yes, and I want everybody to visit Katya out at Katya's Quilt Shop, and it's two P's in the shop, and then maybe you'll be able to visit her in person. So. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? It yeah. would be nice. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. This is Pat Sloan for American Patchwork and Quilting Soft Show. Remember to visit allpeoplequilt.com for more information on topics from today's show, as well as how-to videos, free printable patterns, and additional tips and techniques. Thanks for listening to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio.